Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyal Law School Professor Jessica Levinson, and today we are joined by Tanya Snyder. Tanya covers transportation for Politico with special interests in driverless cars and safety issues. And today we are going to talk about those topics and the big infrastructure bill. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you for passing judgment with us. Thanks so much for having me. So, Tanya, as we talked about a little bit before we started taping, I really just don't feel like I know enough about this infrastructure bill. And it also seems to me both that I don't know that much and that it's desperately important. So can you give us a little bit of background before we get to where are we in the bill? When is it going to get to President Biden's desk? Let's say I interacted with somebody and they said, oh, you know, you're kind of tangentially involved in politics. Tell me what's in this bill. Is there an elevator speech version of what's in this bill? Sure. Um, One place where we can start is to talk a little bit about what's not in it, but I promise I will get to what is in it. Biden's initial agenda that he put out was he put out the American Jobs Plan and then soon after that, the American Families Plan. But even in the American Jobs Plan, which was sort of portrayed as an infrastructure plan, there was a lot of what he called human infrastructure or social infrastructure, which included things like um, home and community-based health care for seniors and people with disabilities, uh, child care, things like that. A lot of that was also in the American Families Plan, housing, schools. And um, Republicans re- rejected the idea that that is infrastructure and that that belongs in a uh, a bill that is, you know, traditionally infrastructure is roads, bridges, transit, water pipes, um, these days broadband. So they wanted to focus on those things. And there is a lot for those things. It's about a trillion dollars and about $550 billion of that is new spending. So above current levels. I mentioned the $110 billion for roads. There's also $39 billion of, uh, billion of new investment for transit, $66 billion for passenger rail for Amtrak, um, a little bit for uh, electric vehicle infrastructure, and then uh, significant investments, also $55 billion for clean drinking water. And that includes, like I said, replacing all of the nation's lead pipes and service lines. Um, $65 billion for high-speed internet and broadband, um, and then other investment of $73 billion in investment upgrades to power infrastructure, um, the, the power networks and transmission lines. Um, so there's a lot in there, and, and it is this kind of physical uh, infrastructure that Republicans said that, that they were willing to contemplate in a bill like this. So we talked about this a little bit before, but infrastructure, it seems like, is so intertwined with climate change, with jobs, um, with the economy. How much of this bill is your grandparents' infrastructure bill, and how much of it looks different because of the climate change catastrophe that we're facing? 
it looks a lot like our grandparents' infrastructure bill. Mm. Um, and that's something that not only Joe Biden, but the the um, head of the, the, the chair of the House Transportation Committee is um, Peter DeFazio of Oregon. And he's been on the TNI committee since he came to Congress 34 years ago. And he has been dreaming of this bill and this moment, his moment as chair with full Democratic control, remember, in Washington, where they can really get something big done, where they can step away from the Eisenhower era of building out interstates and step into a new approach and a new vision for infrastructure and transportation where it is about um, lifting up communities that have been left behind and doing something and, and really reversing the harms that we've done to the climate in, in, the, in, in all of these other iterations of Eisenhower-esque infrastructure bills. Um, and that is the bill that he dr- drafted and, and got passed in the House. The House passed that July 1st, and that has been completely sidelined. The House leadership is saying, you know, that that's not a bill that we can get through the Senate. We know that. We now know exactly what we can get through the Senate. It is this bipartisan bill, and that's what we're going to go with. Um, so that's a real disappointment to people who are hoping for something more transformative. Now, I don't, again, want to um, undersell all that there is in this bill in terms of new money, huge uh, increases in investment for sustainable modes of transportation and um, clean energy and and drinking water. All of those things are are really important and much needed. But I think that a lot of um, progressives and greens thought that this was a moment when they could really go big, and they were really disappointed. So I want to get to where we are in the process, but first, um, Let's talk for a minute about why progressives and greens, you've said, are disappointed. You've said, you know, people are are left behind. Can you bring that home for us? Talk to us about people who could have stood to benefit from a bigger infrastructure bill, but uh, because of the changes, because of the compromises that had to be made, that they won't. Like, who are these people? What specifically could have helped them? Yeah. It's not even just the funding levels, it's the policies. Um, Both Biden and Chairman DeFazio, whom I I mentioned, um, really were trying to put in place policies that would change the way that we invest. So you can have a big pot of money, but but when when you as a you know for example a state transportation official you are bound to show that your carbon emissions are going down that access to jobs for low income communities is going up that um, that you are have addressed all of the maintenance needs before you built new roads that you're increasing access to transit and clean transportation options if if you have to show these this kind of progress, measure that data and prove it, then you're going to make different kinds of decisions. And instead, what the what this bill will do is just send money to states really with no strings attached and they can do with it what they want. We have some states that are going to build sustainable infrastructure and a lot of states that are going to build highways. Um, we and 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 that have in the past taken money that is 
um, earmarked for certain kinds of programs like uh, infrastructure for walking and bicycling and things like that and recreational trails. Um, and a lot of states take that money and they just pour it back into highways. And that's a tiny amount of money. It's a, it's a, it's a really a drop in the bucket when it comes to their road funding, but could make a substantial difference when it comes to their biking and walking networks. Um, one place that we saw this in this package in a way that um, really hurt is that uh, reconnecting communities is something that people have started talking about. We have in the 60s with a lot of um, highway, a a big period of highway expansion, um, a lot of roads built through communities of color, um, cutting people off from from their neighbors, from job opportunities, from amenities. Um, And often these are communities where people don't don't have access to cars themselves, so they can't use that infrastructure. That inf- that those roads only serve for them to cut them off um, and to divide them, and in some cases, just really steamroll over communities. I went to college in the Twin Cities, and in Minneapolis, there was a a community called Rondo that I only heard about in stories because it doesn't exist anymore because now there's I ninety four. And so, and that was an African-American community. Joe Biden had sought $20 billion in the American Jobs Plan to reconnect these communities. And that means, in some cases, tearing down highways. In some cases, it means capping them so that you can, you know, those highways become tunnels underground and you can, uh, you can, you know, have connections on top of them. Um, You can have parkland on top of them or, or, or kind of um, just build build city back on top of it um, or other kinds of redesign. Sometimes you can take a highway and make it a, a different kind of road, you know, put a pedestrian median in the middle, make it a little bit more tied into the community. There are lots of ways of addressing these things and reconnecting these communities. And um, when the bill came out, it got one fortieth as much as Joe Biden had sought. It's only half a billion dollars in the bill for that. That that was really helpful, and that really helped me contextualize and what the possibilities were, how it affects people, and what we're actually going to see. So I, we've talked about what the infrastructure bill includes, what it doesn't include. Can you help me understand where are we in the process right now? I feel like for people who are trying to stay up to date and read a headline, it's in the House, it's in the Senate, it's everywhere, it's nowhere, it's we passed it, no, there's more to do. Um, as it stands, where are we right now? And then let's talk about what needs to be done. Well, if it's confusing, it sounds like you've been keeping perfect track of this. It is <laughs> confusing and messy. There was this kind of rush to the finish, and then the Senate went on recess for several weeks. Um, the House is going to come back early from their recess to address these bills. So what we have is that the bipartisan bill passed the Senate. It will go to the House, but the House won't take it up until this reconciliation bill also passes, because they don't want to pass just the thing that kind of caters to Republicans and not also make sure that they get through all of the other progressive priorities that Democrats really feel like um, are important and and essential for them to really deliver on the promises that they have made. So Nancy Pelosi isn't planning to take up the bipartisan infrastructure bill that just passed on Tuesday until that reconciliation bill is finished. So what the Senate did was pass the budget 
resolution that has instructions for various committees to write their bills that will be put together into this big reconciliation package. And that's expected to be about three and a half trillion dollars. We already have the two most conservative Democratic senators, uh, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia. I know that you've heard those names a lot. We all are talking about them all the time these days because they are sort of the veto power on everything that the Democrats want to get done. And they have shown that they're uncomfortable, with, and it, as are some moderates in the House, um, uncomfortable with such a big reconciliation bill. So the path forward is tricky. It's going to take a lot of political maneuvering. I don't know how that's going to go. And I'm sure some of it's happening behind the scenes right now while they're on recess. But like I said, they're, everybody is back in their districts now um, trying to do the, the kind of traditional politician work of actually connecting with their constituents. So uh, we'll see what happens when they come back in September. Uh, well, let's pick up on that. You said, let's see what happens. So now I'm going to ask you my least favorite question that I get asked, which is... <laughs> What's going to happen? So what do you think this bill is going to look like when it lands on President Biden's desk? I don't know exactly if these two bills are going to be combined in the end. Right now, they're two separate pieces of legislation. I think they will stay that way. The bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill. The reconciliation bill isn't going to get uh, any Republican votes in the Senate so or in the House for that matter. So I, I think that they will stay two separate bills. Um, I think that the bipartisan infrastructure bill is going to stay in pretty much in its current form uh, through the House and to Joe Biden's desk. The next part, the reconciliation bill, is sort of a prerequisite for the House to take that up, but it actually doesn't have much for the kinds of infrastructure we're talking about. Joe Biden promised Republicans that he's not going to kind of reach this delicate compromise with them on spending numbers and policies and then just blow it all up with a reconciliation bill that, that blows those all out of the water. So, um, so they're not planning to address a lot of the transportation elements that were in the bill. Interesting. So let's broaden it out for a minute. What do you think the process of this, you said to me, basically, if you're following it and it's confusing, then it shows you are trying to follow it. And this is one of the big goals, obviously, of the Biden administration is it was COVID and uh, jobs and now infrastructure, which obviously is related to jobs and related to the environment. But this feels like it's been an extraordinarily painful process to get to this point. When you look at what's happened in the House, what's happened in the Senate, does this pretend anything for other um, goals that the Biden administration has? Yeah, it's interesting that you would list COVID and um, jobs and infrastructure as the three kind of pillars. The way that it was portrayed to me from people uh, with access to the Biden administration was that the four pillars they were really looking at, um, that they wanted to be the, the foundation of their agenda and everything that they did, were COVID recovery, economic recovery and jobs, and then climate and equity. And, and it's interesting that you know, you sort of interchange the climate and equity part for infrastructure, which as, as we were talking about, climate and equity 
were the foundation of what the Democrats wanted to do on infrastructure, not just kind of repair potholes and, and you know, fix bridges, but, but really make a transformational investment in, in this society. And so that's where things didn't go as far as a lot of people were hoping. So what is the prospect for getting there? You know, the reconciliation bill is pretty limited in terms of what what they can do to, to change or fix those things. Reconciliation is not a place where you set policy. And so, you know, if Democrats want to start putting more requirements on how states, again, use road money, that's not a place where they can do that. Tanya, when... An infrastructure bill eventually gets to President Biden's desk. Do you think that the Biden administration and Democrats will be able to view this as a big win? Is it a yell or is it a whimper, given all the compromises that had to be made here? They're yelling about it. Um, they're pretty psyched. And and part of what they're psyched about and this is not a small thing, is that Joe Biden was able to do something in a bipartisan way in an incredibly polarized Washington. And and doing that, doing something big with some, I mean, you know, lots of Republicans voted against it, but 18 Republicans in the Senate voted for it. And that is significant. And getting getting um, a compromise like that is so much of what Joe Biden campaigned on, that he was going to be a unifier, that he was going to be able to get things done, that he was going to bring people together. And, you know, to, the, the polarization has not necessarily changed, but he still was able to overcome it. And so what he had to sacrifice were all of these progressive and, and environmental priorities. And that burns for a lot of people. Uh, and for a lot of people, it may not have been worth it. Um, but it had to happen to get, they needed to get at least 10 Republicans. They got 18. And I, I think that this is so key to to what Biden wanted to do as a leader that I think for him, it is worth it. And I think that he is and will be yelling about it. So now based on your expertise, I don't want to let you go without asking about driverless cars. This is something that <laughs> I think about um probably more than anyone would expect, frankly, but I really, really, really don't like to drive. And from everything I understand, driverless cars eventually will be much safer um, than having all of us text and listen to the radio and make calls and change our music and drive. Um, so do we have any timeline for this? A kid who's born today, are they going to get their driver's license or are they going to go shopping for their driverless car? I think that that timeline has has been changing even just in the last couple of years. I think that there was a a point just a few years ago when this really felt imminent and it felt like this was moving faster than anyone had guessed and that they were really close. And then I think that some of the details, but really important details. Um, I remember somebody, this is a, a little while ago, but, you know, telling me that driverless cars had trouble seeing women in skirts and had trouble seeing children if they were next to adults or, you know, that, that there was just a, still a lot of ground to cover in terms of having driverless cars 
correctly identify what's around them and predict what those things are going to do next. And so part of that is identifying whether the animal by the side of the road is a cow or a deer. A deer is going to jump in front of your car. A cow is not. And so it's amazing how far the technology has come. And it's just amazing also how many computations the human mind can do when we see things and recognize them and know what they are and know what they do that we need to then teach a computer for every instance. And that is taking a very long time. Tanya, I appreciate that. We have covered a lot of ground. We've talked about infrastructure, politics, Senate procedure, what happens in the house. We've done uh, almost covered flying cars. We've done self-driving cars <laughs> and uh, what our future could look like. We've learned a lot from you. And now as loyal listeners of the podcast know, we'd like to learn a little bit more about you. We have our three uh, questions that we always end the podcast with. And so the first question is, uh, which famous person, dead or alive, would you want to invite to a dinner party and why? So I feel like this is pretty basic, but I think it would be Lin-Manuel Miranda. My kids and I play the In the Heights soundtrack on loop. We love it. We're kind of obsessed with it. And before In the Heights, it was Hamilton. I'm just a big fan. It is the background soundtrack to so many of our lives right now for very good reason. Yeah. Um, question number two. You're going to be stranded on a desert island. You can bring one meal with you. What is it? Oh, I think that's Sag Paneer. And finally, you get one superpower for one hour. What is the superpower? To go back or forward in time. Time travel is a big one. Yeah. And I completely understand why. Tanya Snyder from Politico. It was a pleasure to cover so many topics with you. Thanks so much for having me. You can find Tanya on Twitter at TSnyderDC. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Thank you to our listeners for listening to these conversations and continuing to interact with us and let us know what else you want to hear and how we can do better. And we wish everybody a great day. Mm -hmm.